Okay, good evening, everybody, and welcome to the final class of the 53 chapters of Tanya. And we're about to conclude um, uh, the monumental task we started together five years ago of learning the uh, learning the Tanya, the essence of Chabad philosophy, and hopefully a path in life. And I hope tonight you'll be inspired to begin learning once again. So the task is when we conclude something, we should be so inspired, we want to learn it again. Um, with your help, the next two weeks, we're going to learn an overview of the Tanya, kind of go through the full 53 chapters um, at a fast pace and see if we could really take away some monumental messages together. Um, you know, I want to start off tonight talking about Avraham. Avraham, uh, he recognized Hashem, whether at age three, according to one opinion, age 40, according to a second, and even later on, 47, 48, according to others. So he's talking about the first few Avram. That means if we take the opinion he recognized God at age 40, that means for 40 years he wasn't serving Hashem. And yet the Torah tells us that Avraham Avinu served God every day of his life. He passed away living a full life. So the obvious question is, how is it a full life? If you wasted 40 years of your life, it doesn't sound full to me. It sounds like it's a lot of waste. No, no what's the answer, Mark? Oh, no. Marbas, what about you? What's the answer? Can you state the question again? I've, I've already absolutely. The question is: We learned that Avraham Avinu passed away, mm -hmm. living a full life, meaning every moment of his life was used out appropriately. Nonetheless, he Avram only recognized Hashem at age forty, according to some opinions, or older, according to others. That means it was forty years of his life that seemingly he wasted. So if you waste 40 years, how could we still learn that he used out each day in the fullest? Well, in one part of the Tanya, it says, oh, I'm sorry. Were you Go still? ahead. Go ahead. Um, in one part of the Tanya, it said um, that, uh, well, like the Benoni is a Benoni for his whole life, even though he wasn't even though he might have um, had a virus before that. But now that he's a Benoni, he's a Benoni for his whole life. Mm. I really appreciate that point. So one perspective is saying you could always change things up. In other words, it's not that you've lost out forever. We always have the ability to change things. I appreciate that thought. I appreciate that thought. So tonight I'm going to share with you a deeper thought, but I, and I, and I, but I value that point as well, that it, we could always change things around. Tonight, the point I want to share tonight is that the preparation, the search, is also a complete work. 
Let me give you an example. A child doesn't need to serve Hashem until he's 12 for a girl or 13 for a boy. Does that mean the first 12 years of his life, he's wasting? He's just, he's just uh, you know, he has to play games. He has to play sports. He has to become mature. And when he's mature at age 13 or 12, respectively, now they could serve Hashem? Not at all. No, no. Learning, becoming, that is part of the journey. And so when we say that Avraham, for 40 years, he was searching for Hashem, that, that is using out your days in the fullest. So perhaps bringing it, connecting it to where we are today, when we live a challenge, that is part of, part of the service of Hashem. You know, today many of us are unsure of what tomorrow is going to bring. We may be, we may have anxiety from the political situation in America. We may have anxiety from the general world situation, whether it's COVID related or whether it's just the, the lack of, of certainty in many areas of our life. But every day that we take that challenge and we don't give in, we don't give up and we say, I'm going to, I'm going to serve Hashem another day. We have, we have used that day to its fullest. That's point A. But not only that, that's what we learned from Avram. That, that even if we're just searching, that is a full day. But something deeper that we've learned in Tanya is that the days that we're challenged and we don't give in, those days bring out the greatest part of us and bring down the greatest godliness within the world. And I think what's really incredible that we're going to learn tonight in the conclusion of Tanya is that when we have a challenge and we physically exert ourselves in the service of Hashem, the physical exertion is the greatest service of Hashem possible. You know, you ever went to help someone pack up, moving from one house to another? I, you, if you've ever moved, which I imagine all of you have had the experience of moving in your life, you know, it's quite exhausting to pack boxes and tape them and load them and unload them and untape them and then to unpack. It's exhausting. I've, just done, I've, just, I've just done it. It's, it's more than exhausting. It's traumatic. Exhausting and traumatic. Yes. It's exhausting and traumatic. But when we do that, we are bringing about, when it's for a godly reason, we're bringing about the greatest transformation possible. Now, how could that be? And here's where I want to re kind of do a little review with you of what we've learned in Tanya until now and how this is a concluding section of Tanya puts it all together. We started off in the first 18 chapters of Tanya learning that we have two drives. We have a godly drive called the Nefesh Elikis, and we have an animalistic drive called the Nefesh Abahamis. 
And we learned that literally there's the godly, the godly soul is in our brain and in the right ventricle and the animalistic soul is in the left ventricle. And they're two complete people. So within each of our bodies are two complete people. You know, Rachel, Rachel Imenu, the wife of Isaac, Yitzchak, whenever she, when she was pregnant, when she would pass by a place of idol worship, the baby would get very excited and start kicking and, and getting all antsy. You mean Rebecca, don't you? Rivka. Did I say Rachel? Yes, thank you. Rivka. Rivka, yes. Yeah. When she would pass by a place of idol worship, the baby would get all excited. And when she would pass by a shul, the baby again would get all excited. And it caused her anxiety. She said, something's wrong here. This is an unhealthy baby. If the baby would be excited by in a place of idol worship, okay, I have to deal with it. I know, I know what I need to deal with. If the baby would be excited when I go to a shul, okay, I need to deal, I'm blessed. But the baby is getting excited when I pass by a place of idol worship and when I'm I passed by a synagogue, it's confusing. So she went and she asked, she asked, what is going on within me? And she was told, don't worry, you don't have a schizophrenic child. You don't have a bipolar child. You have two children. One of them is Asaph, he's going to want to go to the idol. And one of them is Yaakov, he's going to want to serve Hashem. And actually we learn, each of us, we're not schizophrenic. We're not bipolar. We all have those times that we want to devote ourselves to Hashem. And that's all that's on our mind. I'm going to spend every moment. And then we have, we have the other times in our life that we're like, I can't. I just want to go and relax and have fun on the beach. You know, and we're not bipolar. We're, we have two drives within us. One of them is pulling us. The animalistic drive is pulling us to be very materialistic and selfish. And the godly soul is pulling us to serve Hashem. That's the first 18 chapters. And then at a later point, we learn that the point of this world, the point of creation of all the world, is to draw Hashem down into this physical world. How do you do that through the physical deed? So what we've learned until now that we need to know for tonight is that we have two drives within us that are fighting. And that our task is to let the godly soul win, but not only to win, but win to do the physical deed. So for example, if you have, if there's a fight between the godly soul and the animalistic soul, if there's a fight between your animalistic soul wants to go and just have a party at night, you want to go out and, and party with somebody. But the godly soul, soul says, no, no, no. Right now, I'd like to do some meditation about godliness. I'd like to learn. That's incredible. You have, oh, you're overpowering your animalistic soul and you're drawing down godliness. But if you want to draw God, down godliness on, an, on a much greater level and, bring, and accomplish the mission of the world, it's not going to be through only the study of Torah. It's going to be through the physical material deed, through physically sweating and helping another person move from one place to the next. And physically sweating to help someone with their broken tire. And physically sweating, cooking a Shabbos meal for everybody. 
Hashem wants a physical place on this world. And that is what we're going to learn tonight. We're going to learn tonight why is it so important the physical deed? Why do I need a sweat? Why can't I just sit and learn? And and could you give me a nod in the uh, video camera one way or the other? Yes, I, it's I'm with you or I'm not with you. I'm with okay. you, Rabbi. You are, I, some people are not are saying they're with me. Some people are saying they're with me and against me at the same time. So, uh, okay. Any questions before we jump ahead? In chapter 35, we were introduced to an analogy. The analogy was that the Shekhinah is a flame. And our godly soul is a candle. So what I want to do is I want to bring the Hashem, the Shekhinah, the fire down into the candle. What do you need for a candle? A candle has two components. It has oil and a wick. So if you want to bring the fire of Hashem down into this world, you want to bring it down onto your godly soul, you need the two components that a candle has, which is it has a wick and oil that is going to catch the fire into the candle. So let's, let's go through each of these items. The candle is the godly soul. The wick, the item that's going to transform and allow the fire to remain here is the animalistic soul. What is the fuel? What's the oil? The oil is the study of Torah and the physical mitzvah. So let's now we have the four items. We have the, we have the cup, the basin, the candle. That, the candle itself is the godly soul. We have the wick that's going to be consumed and transformed. That's the animalistic soul. The oil, the fire for the, can, the candle is going to be the study of Torah and the mitzvah, primarily the mitzvah, as we'll learn in a minute. And the fire itself that you're bringing down is the so if I want to bring the Shekhinah into this world, I need a transformation of my animalistic soul. And that's what we're saying about the sweat. Why sweat? Because a, a wick, the way the fire stays on a candle is because it consumes the wick. If there's no more wick, there's no more fire. The wick the fire will be here as long as the wick is being transformed into another material. You don't see a, you you won't see that wick at the end. The the shechina, the fire of Hashem, is going to be here so long as we're transforming our animalistic soul. We're actually trans. We're actually sweating. We're actually actively working our animalistic soul. If that's the case, what works? What makes a transformation in our animalistic soul? The study of Torah or the physical mitzvah? The study of Torah or, or the physical what? Mitzvah. Physical the study mitzvah. of Torah or eating kosher? Or the mitzvah of um, 
walking to do a mitzvah for some. And they're both? Kind of. <laughs> because truly, the real answer is the mitzvah, the deed. Talk about hedging, Michael. Torah does not really always hedge my transform the animalistic soul. If you want to transform the animalistic soul, you need to do something physical. Something, we'll call it, in a, in a sense, mundane. Hmm. There was a boy who studied, who was studying to become a lawyer. And one summer, he got a nudge to go to Eretz Yisrael, to Israel, and study in the yeshiva. They said, look, you can't become a lawyer without studying the Talmud. Have, an, have a Jewish experience. See what it's going to do for you. He said, okay, I'm, I'm on the path to become a lawyer. I'm going to go. And he went to Eretz Yisrael to a yeshiva there. And this yeshiva, they, their philosophy was, let's, we're going to study Torah here. The performance of mitzvahs is secondary. Not because they thought the performance of mitzvahs is secondary, meaning it wasn't that they had anything against the performance of mitzvahs. However, they said, for someone that's not observant, we need to first invite them to study Torah before they, before they will begin to perform the mitzvah. So this man went. He was there for two months. And he had an incredible academic experience. He studied the Talmud. And, and as an academician, as he's someone who's become, studying to be a lawyer, he loved it but it wasn't a spiritual experience. Two months are up. He's heading home. He had a good experience. He enjoyed it. It was fun, but it wasn't a spiritual experience. He packs up his stuff and he's taking the bus to Bangorian Airport. He stops off at one of the bus stations. He gets out. He's running from one bus, bus to the next. And who does he meet in the bus station? He meets a Chabad young boy who asks him, he knocks that fill that he put on fill today. And he says, no. So the boy says, you want to put on fill He's like, I've been here for two months. I've had an academic experience, but I haven't even put on fill once. I haven't had a spiritual experience yet. And it was quite... Uh, logistical feat for him to do it. He had all his luggage there, smack in the middle, people running by back and forth. And he puts on the tefillin and just from the sheer emotion and, and the stress, and he starts to sweat. He says the Shema. And when he takes off the tefillin, he says thank you to the boy. And he realizes he now had a spiritual experience. And that spiritual experience, not a spiritual experience that he had, a, he, he was meditating and he got lost in the meditation and, and you know, it had a profound a, a, um, effect on him, which, by the way, I don't want to talk that down because we studied chapter 41 through chapter 50, spoke about the need for meditation. So I don't want to talk it down. The goal here is that tonight is to talk up the physical deed. In other words, the action is more important than the intention. Intention without 
without a deed is not is not going to help us. So to ima- to imagine as if you're putting on tefillin, but not to, and have the deep intention of putting on tefillin, but not to put on tefillin is not going to cut it. But putting on tefillin without the deep intentions is just fine. So having that physical experience. So let me stress it. It's actually a physical spiritual experience. That is the greatest, uh, um, the greatest method to bringing godliness down into this world. Let's see this point inside. And with this, we're going to conclude the message of the Tanya. The message being that we need to draw down Hashem into this world. We're going to do it through, have, through allowing our godly soul to overpower our animalistic soul and actually to use our animalistic soul in the deed of a good, of a positive mitzvah. In the Tanya, we're on page 279, right-hand column. Here we go. And this is what the Yenuka meant when he said the Yenuka is the Zohar. And this is what the Kabbalists mean when it says that the supernal light that is kindled on one's head. Oh, so here we go. There's a flame on your head. What is that flame? So now we're going to clarify what's the flame, namely the Shekhinah. Okay, so right on top of you is a flame. But you don't want the flame to be on top of you. You want the flame to connect with you. You don't want the Shekhinah to be hovering over you. You want the Shekhinah to be one with you. So you need oil. There has to be oil. A flame, a flame needs oil. What is the oil? So the oil is, that is, to be clothed in wisdom. The first oil, first of all, is called wisdom. Wisdom is Torah. Torah is Hashem's wisdom, which is called oil from the holy anointing. Right? If we're familiar with the story of Hanukkah that's coming up, there's an incredible mess question that's asked on the whole story of Hanukkah. The story of Hanukkah is we couldn't find oil, pure oil, so Hashem made a miracle and we found pure oil. But, you know, the miracle was seemingly for nothing. For not. Why? Because you're allowed to use impure oil in the, in the holy temple. Technically, if there's no pure oil, you could use impure oil for the menorah. So what was the need for this massive miracle of finding a jug of oil that was pure? It wasn't even necessary. Go to Safeway, go to Fred Meyer and buy a jug of oil. Because oil, as we're learning now, represents wisdom. Oil represents Torah. And yes, we can, if needed, use impure oil. But Hashem was telling us that we, can, we need to make sure nothing ever touches our oil. Nothing ever stops us from the purity of Torah study, from our wisdom. So oil is the Torah. Well, that's one part of oil. Oil is the Torah, continues the Zohar as is explained in the Zohar, that these are the good deeds, namely, as we said, the 613 commandments, which derive from his blessed wisdom. This, we know the 613 commandments come from Hashem's chachma, from Hashem's wisdom. So I saw Mark, I saw you looking up before to find the flame. The flame is there. The question is, 
are you doing the mitzvot of Hashem? Are you keeping enough oil in the candle to keep the flame on you? So that's the flame. Nearby, if the flame is there, so we have the flame and we have the mitzvah, thereby the light of the shlina can cling to the wick. Ah, but now a candle needs a wick. If you have a flame you want to wave to with oil, say, yeah. No, Mariah, you want to say hi to everyone? Hi, Mariah. <laughs> If you have a flame with oil, but no wick, I don't know. I've never tried it. Anybody ever tried it? What's going to happen? If you put a flame with oil, but no wick, what's going to happen? Probably the oil is going to combust. It, it, the oil, nothing's going to happen, right? The flame's going to go out. Well, it might burn. Wouldn't it? The oil? The flame will burn the oil. Wouldn't the oil catch on fire? Okay, so let's say the oil will catch on fire, but it will go out right away. <laughs> I that haven't tried it yet, but uh, so I'm okay. I'm not exactly sure what's going to happen, but we. What I do know is, to have a proper fire, you need oil and a wick. You need a wick to be mm. transformed and burned. What is the wick? The vivifying soul in the body, the animalistic soul, which is metaphorically called the wick. Okay. So we have the flame that's on top of us. And we know what the oil is. The oil is going to be primarily the physical mitzvah. Why? And now we explain. Because the wick is the animal soul. And just as in the case of a material candle, the light shines by virtue of the annihilation and burning of the wick turning to fire. How, why do we have light? Because the fire is transforming this wick. I need something to be transformed. So does the light of the Shekhinah rest on the divine soul as a result of the annihilation of the animal soul and its transformation from darkness to light and from bitterness to sweetness. So I need to take the animal soul and transform it into something good. Wow. Wow. So we have a big task up ahead. We may be, we may be concluding Tanya, but the task is monumental. The task is that at every moment I need, to, I need to constantly ensure that my animal soul is actively serving Hashem. How do now, you know? How, how do you know? Ah, Tanya now is going to ask the question, how do you know? And it's going to review what we've learned in the first 18 chapters. Rabbi, how do you know? Oh, yes, Rabbi, yes, Gershon. Um, sorry, the engineer and me had to check regarding uh, olive oil and burning. Olive oil uh, can't burn on its own because it has a very high flash point. It has to be heated to 550 degrees. That's why you need the wick or cotton or something to, to make it burn. So you're right, you do need the wick to burn the, uh, 
and the burning uh, uh, apparently heats up the oil so that it reaches that temperature. Ah, you see, I learned something brand new tonight. Actually, I really appreciate so that I. point. <laughs> that we've just learned that, yes, you need a wick, and even the oil won't be consumed without the, without the wick. Thank you for sharing that. So how do you know if you're winning? Continues Tanya. If you're a tzaddik, in the case of the righteous, sorry, I jumped ahead to, oh, yes. As a result of the annihilation of the animal soul and its transformation from darkness to light and from bitterness to sweetness in the case of the righteous. If you're a tzaddik, the expectation is that you won't have any feelings, any desire for anything opposite Hashem. So, Mark, the way at this moment you'll know if you're a tzaddik is if you ever have a desire, a thought, feeling, or action, an emotion, that's not for Hashem. If you do, then you're a good guy. You're an average human being. But a tzaddik who's above being an average, he only has a desire and an interest in godly things. He's taken his animalist, animal soul and he's transformed it to godly. Now, how do you know if you're an average guy? What is expected? Or at least through the destruction of its garments, which are thought, speech, and action. And their transformation from the darkness of the Klippot to the divine light of the blessed angel. Which is clothed and united in the thought, speech, and action of the 613 commandments of the Torah in the case of Bainia. So, what's the expectation from your average human being? And I don't want to call anybody out. Because I imagine everybody here is a Tzadik. But... Uh, I, some of that is a bainini. In other words, some of that has a desire and interest in things that are other than godly. It's not a bad thing. Not only it's not a bad thing, by the way, we're going to learn there's certain mitzvot that a tzaddik cannot fulfill because he doesn't have those desires. So what is the job of the bainini? The job of the bainini, Mark, here's the answer is to make sure that his thought, his speech, and his action, his behavior are focused on Hashem. That means, what does that mean? That means if you see something that causes you a, distractful, a distracting thought, I, then I want you to change your thought to something else. If you want to speak something, if you have something really exciting news, and you know that it's just too exciting to be holy, so don't say it. And if you want to go and get someone back, they really hurt your feelings, and so you want to pull the chair out so when they try and sit down, they'll fall down, you don't do it. We control our thoughts, speech, and action. So why is this so important? Why is it important to involve our animal soul and transform it? For as the result of the transformation of the animal soul, originating from the Klippas Noga, the animal soul which comes 
from an energy that could be either transformed to godliness or the opposite, a transformation from darkness to light and so forth. When we go ahead and we take our animal soul and we transform it to focus on godly things, there is brought about the so-called ascent of the feminine waters to draw the light of the Shekhinah i.e. the category of the revealed light of the blessed angel self over one's divine soul, principally dwelling in the brain of the head. We know that we are called, the, the Jew is called Hashem's wife. And Hashem is a husband. And in the case of Marriage, we say, is kind of a three-way process. The three-way process is that the woman causes, um, initiates with the man an interest. In other words, the woman somehow creates an arousal that this man should be interested in her. Then the man reciprocates back and will show his interest in her. So the same thing is with Hashem. When we go ahead and we control our thoughts, we're going to have this negative thought and, and it's this inappropriate thought and we control it. We think about something else. At that moment, that is the arousal of the woman arousing the man's interest. So the moment we go ahead and control ourselves, we are the, the female arousing Hashem's interest in us. Ah, that's very, very good. That's incredible. We arouse Hashem's desire in us. What could be better than that? And Hashem reciprocates. Hashem, draw, we draw the light of the Shekhinah, the category of the revealed light of the Blessed Ain't over one's divine soul. So that little initiation we make is drawing down this incredible energy on us. And Tanya concludes with the following thought. Thereby will also be clearly understood the text, for the Lord your God is a consuming fire, as is explained elsewhere. Our, your God, if you want him to be your God, then he needs to consume something. Like we're saying here, there has to be the, is it consummation? Would that be a word? The consuming, the consume. Hashem needs to consume. There needs to be a transformation of the animal soul. So if we want Hashem to be my God, see your God, then Hashem says, I need to see some transformation within you. Conclusion of the first part, with the help of God, may he be blessed and exalted. So let's summarize what we've learned here. What have we, what have we learned tonight? We've learned that the primary, the deed is most important. But actually, we've gotten a deep understanding into why is the deed so important? Because the, the physical deed is the wick. The physical deed using our physical body is the wick 
without the wick, I could have incredible thoughts. My Shemendel, I could learn as much as I want, but that's not the wick. That's the oil. Like Gershon so helpfully explained to us, the oil is not going to, I could have a barrel full of olive oil and the flame is not going to catch. We need the wick. We need a physical deed. Thank you all for joining us on this journey. And I, I really hope that we're going to see all of you